You're listening to the Accessible Guy, Reverend Hank Jenkins and Reverend Jonathan Campbell. Well, welcome back to the Accessible God podcast. It is a special day here in AGP because for the first time ever in our show, myself, Reverend Hank Jenkins, and my co-host, Reverend Jonathan Campbell, we are actually in the same room together. Yay! Yay! (laughs) So hopefully you won't have any uh, Zoom interference on our part. But this is also a special day because in our last episode, we had our very first guest for AGP. Today, we have our very second guest (laughs) for AGP. I would like to welcome the Reverend Latia Frazier all the way from Kansas City, Missouri. How you doing, Reverend Latia? Great. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for joining us. You were just uh, right before we started recording, you were telling us about all your amazing travels all over this beautiful country of ours. Uh, You're getting ready to go up to Chicago. And it made me think, uh, what uh, in all your travels, what have you found to be uh, maybe the most accessible and least accessible city to, to visit for you? Oh, that's a hard one. Uh, ooh, I think uh, most accessible and least accessible. <laughs> that's hard. I don't know. Let me think about it. Okay. Well, as you think about it, I, I'm going to share. I just got back from a, uh, a trip to up to New York City. Um, I don't like to visit New York City a lot because I actually, I know, (laughs) I find New York City very inaccessible, but that is your hometown or home city, right? Yes, but I would also, I I struggled, that's why I didn't want to answer this question. I would also agree with you and say that New York City is probably the most inaccessible, but I would say it's because it's one of the oldest cities, and so to do a lot of reconstruction would 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 tear up the whole city in yeah, some ways. So it, it really like, would, and it, it would take forever to make that city accessible. Uh, but I have found, like one of the, here in the United States, one of the most accessible cities. And for some reason, when I think of accessibility in major cities, I think of their subway systems. I don't know why, but uh, one of the most accessible cities I have found. Uh, as far as being a wheelchair goes, is actually Washington, D.C. Yeah, makes sense. I was just going to say that. See? Yeah. <sighs> Washington, D.C. is a great city to travel around in a wheelchair because the subway system is fairly new. Geographically, it's not a big city. Um, and it's just fairly easily accessible. But New York City, not so much. So let's put down a challenge to New York City. You really want to be overshone by D.C.? Yeah. Come on, step your game up. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, get accessible. <laughs> but I, I know you, I know you love the Big Apple, Latia. So I don't, I don't want to dog on it too much. <laughs> I do. I love it. I mean, it has accessible elements, right? So you can, for those folks with disabilities who, who don't drive, you can get around at like one o'clock in the morning. So you know, there you go. That is true. Things don't just shut down, right? There you go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, very good. Well, let's let's uh, let's start out with our conversation uh, here today. As I said, we're very excited to have Reverend Latia uh, with us. Uh, Reverend Latia is, uh, as we have told our guests in the our, uh, people, our audience in the past, uh, Reverend Jonathan and myself, we are both out of the United Methodist tradition. Reverend Latia, though you are, uh, you and I are good friends, but you uh, you're actually out of the Nazarene tradition, but you work in a Presbyterian church. Um, uh, so we still so have that. I'm just confused. Time. You see, yeah. <laughs> trying, to, trying to figure it all out, right? So yeah, Reverend Latia, you are, as we said, you you kind of come from, uh, you have a multitude of uh, of uh, religious traditions that you're you're working with. Tell us a little bit about your your faith journey uh, and and how you have navigated that with a disability and and how you've gotten to where you're you are today. Yeah, so I first came to faith as a teenager or preteen, and it was a Pentecostal church. And so as someone with a physical disability in a Pentecostal church, it's very interesting because I got prayed for healing a lot. Um, so that really shaped my theology around, like, it, was there something wrong with me that, like, I wasn't being healed or... Uh, in terms of like, did I not have enough faith? Um, so that's how that began. And, and being a teenager when we don't even know what the heck we think about ourselves anyway. Um, yeah. And then throughout college, I went to a Christian Missionary Alliance school, which is a fairly evangelical you know, school. So some of the same uh, about you know, healing and, and, and like, I don't have to have my disability forever. But it was also at that college that I began to think about like, something about this isn't right, like, and that there's not something wrong with me, but there's something wrong with the theology, although I don't know that I could have named it then. Amen. Well, I'm always, yes. I'm always curious about that, Latia, because uh, that is very similar to my background and for I grew up in the Southern Baptist faith yeah. um, but also went attended uh, a Pentecostal Assemblies of God church for a short period of time but that healing narrative was prevalent throughout my childhood as well when I'm trying to figure out who I am and what my identity <laughs> is but I also eventually worked my way out of it but I'm also I'm always curious with disabled people disabled people of faith what was the thing that really began to get you thinking differently about your disability? Yeah, so I um, I just began to see the healing narratives in a different way. Like there had to be something more. And uh, uh, what got to me was, I forget where it is now, but in, in, in scripture, it says like, and he healed people, meaning Jesus, but he didn't heal everybody. Mm. So like, um, and thinking around the guy, the the healing at the pool of Bethesda, like we hear of this one person who got healed, but like there there was like a whole community of people with disabilities that we don't hear about. So I can only assume that like they didn't get healed, right? So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that uh, idea. Um, I'm also curious um, as a as a black woman, how has that also shaped your experience of disability and faith? Yeah, I, 
<laughs> I'm really working through this now because I, I know that I walk into spaces and either people, uh, I don't know, can I curse? Is that right? Okay. <laughs> and either people are like, holy shit, because we have like all three things in one or like, this is interesting. So I know that when I walk into the spaces, typically I think what people see first is my disability. Um, and then the fact that I'm black and then female. So it's just a lot for people to take in all at once, I think. Yeah, I, I, I've told Hank this, every church I've ever met with, uh, when the intake happens, I can tell some people are nervous about oh my God, we have a pastor with a disability. And now I'm thinking to myself, you don't know if it's racism, ableism, or sexism. <laughs> there we go. I'm like, all right, there we go. Well, yeah. and and just like, how do you, how is that? So I often tell people like being a disabled uh, person, I obviously face discriminations. But at the same time, because I am a white heterosexual male, I am afforded so many privileges that I have to be mindful of within so many spaces that so many of my colleagues with disabilities aren't afforded. Um, what, how is the experience different like for a, a, a black woman with a disability than it would be for myself who is a white man with a disability? Yeah, yeah so I think I'm just facing three times the barriers, right? Where you may have one level of barrier because you have a physical disability. And I wonder, and I don't know if this is true, Hank, you can t tell me. You also have the story, although you were really young, you have the story of saying like, I didn't always have a disability. So I right. think yeah. folks who don't, who aren't born with a disability, I think sometimes society can see them like, oh, this like unfortunate thing happened, but they're more like us than, than you know. So I yeah, think- No, that's exactly right, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, that's something Hank and I have talked about. Um, is it helpful for you to sometimes try to parse out if the issue for somebody's racism or sexism or ableism, or is it, does it not matter? They're just treating you poorly. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to parse that out um, because like, yeah, it's all interconnected for me. So sometimes yeah. it's hard to parse it out unless there are like direct comments like, oh, can you do this? Cause you walk with crutches. And I know like for them, they're being tripped up by like um, my disability. But I, I've, so I find that, uh, and it's really like insidious. Like people won't say it until they get to know me, right? They'll say like, oh, I had so many thoughts about you that were different, but nobody ever says, like, I wanna know. I think the next time somebody says that, I'm like, so what did you think? Um, yeah. Did you have difficulty getting ordained? Um. Um, so I will say, uh, which I think is much like the, the Methodist church. So when I was going to seminary, went to a Nazarene seminary and I wasn't Nazarene then. Um, and we had a class where what I call the how to be a Nazarene class. So we and the, told us how to like the ordination process. And I waited until the class was over and I went up to 
the person that was the DS at the time and I said, um, so tell me, like, will it be difficult for me to be a minister in, in the church? And that's when he was really honest. He said, yeah, you're going to have a difficult time. But I think in my 20s, I was in my 20s then. So at that point, I was like, well, screw you, watch me. I'm going to do it. Right? Yeah. And so that was what I did. And like, and so at my ordination, it was it was then good to see because he was still the DS at that time. Like, okay, and you're a part of my ordination now. I think that as I'm getting older, I still see the challenges. Um, they they haven't dissipated because I've like reached the ordination status. It just looks different now. What were some of the struggles you had to deal with? I I think people's perception of like one. Sometimes when people see a physical disability, they then equate that to an intellectual disability. So I always felt like I had to prove that that like I was smart enough to be a minister. And then the flip side of that was, so we had interviews um, every year until you get ordained. Um, the flip side of that was people on my committee would then like, I would be done with my interview and they would say, hey, I just want to let you know, like, we're so glad you're here. We need voices. So it was just like this weird, like, uh, we're not sure about you, but also we're really glad because now we can say we're super diverse. <laughs> yeah. 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 You check a box. Yeah. Exactly. Have you seen any differences between, I mean, you currently are working with a uh, Presbyterian church, a PCUSA church. Is that correct? Yes. Have you seen any differences with how they, uh, interact with people with disabilities within the Presbyterian church as opposed to the Nazarene church and maybe what you know from your interactions with me of the Methodist church or are they all just pretty similar? So I would say no I was hopeful that it would be different but no um, as I've explored what that that possibility might be uh, I've hit some of the same things like in in just starter conversations I was straight up asked like why uh, me as a person with a disability who's a woman wants to join a predominantly white church. Yeah. Um, so I was... I want to save you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's like, that was the intent of that person's question. Like, are you sure? Because... Yeah. yeah. Um, but as I reflected on that, I was like, but that is my experience in every aspect of life. Like, I face the world as a black person with a disability and like so i don't know that it would be any different except that churches are slow in 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 progress yeah do you so what were can i ask you you led that answer off by saying you had hoped it would be different what was the thing you were what made you think it might be different so my introduction into P- PCUSA Worlds was through the 1001 New Worshipping Communities, which is like the PCUSA's attempt at like a new church, new churches, you know, playing yeah. new churches. And so I f- have felt really supported and accepted and all that stuff in that space. But then when, you, but they're sort of, while they're integral part of the PCUSA, you know, church planters are sometimes the island of misfit toys, right? So we all fit in that space. But when you go to the larger denominational body, you hit some of the same um, barriers. Yeah. The, the church you're serving at now, what's your role there? 
So, um, so we are in a uh, like a traditional Presbyterian church, but within that, they have a new worshiping community called the Open Table. So it's a, not when we're not in the pandemic, it's a, a dinner church, but it's uh, around conversation, more progressive folks, folks who either have faith or, or kind of trying to figure out that journey um, because they grew up in the church and you know, traditional religion may not be fitting them at this moment. Um, and then as part of the new worshiping communities, they want us then to plant a community. So I've started to do that. Um, so again, in that space, I feel really welcome, but it's also limiting because at some point you're gonna face, like you have to do all the stuff to be a fully recognized minister. So like, in the PCUSA, I can't serve communion, but obviously in a Nazarene church, I can. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize you were you were trained as a church planter. Was there pushback in that because you don't fit the stereotypical model of what a church planter is supposed to look like? Yeah, so not not within the new worshiping communities now. You you mentioned. Um, and, and my question here, it makes me, because a, a conversation Jonathan and I were having earlier today, but you mentioned being uh, uh, with the open table, which is a more progressive community. Yeah. And I would imagine being in the Nazarene tradition, you have also found, and maybe even the PCUSA tradition, have found yourself uh, uh, navigating within more conservative communities as well at different times in your life. Do you see a difference between those two communities on how they interact with disabilities? And, and because I, I have experiences of that myself, and I'm, but I'm just curious of your own experiences. I think that in more progressive circles, they want to know, they want to learn, they want to see how they can be more accessible, I guess. I mean, in the good side of that, whereas in more conservative circles, it's more like you have to try to fit in our mold. And if you don't, well, that's your problem. Yeah, no, there, there's definitely, um, there, there's definitely that experience. I, I would say that for me, and, and I'm going off on my, my own stories here. I apologize. But, uh, you fine? No, I, my experience has been, and we were talking about this earlier. I, I am a more progressive ideological person myself. Um, and while I have found that progressive within progressive circles, they are um, theoretically, they accept who I am and they want to love who I am. Sometimes within progressive circles, they don't know how to welcome me in fully as much as conservative circles tend to do, which I have found always found really interesting and fascinating. Um, I, I always think, you know, the difference is, um, you know, within, and this is uh, making it overly simplified, but I think sometimes within progressive circles, they tend to overthink things. And because they overthink things, they don't want to say anything that's going to be offensive. And so sometimes because they don't want to say anything that's going to be offensive, they just don't talk to disabled people at all, right? To where sometimes when I come into conservative circles, the the underlying goal for them is to is to get me fixed or to get me saved or 
And so they do want to welcome me in. And so they are overly accommodating and, and very hospitable to uh, to some degree. And so I am welcomed into those circles, but it's with always with the underlying goal of, but we're going to pity you at some level because we want to get you saved and we want to get you fixed. Um, but I've, I've always just found that interesting because sometimes I find, even though it's not necessarily what I'm looking for, I find conservative churches or conservative circles at times much more accommodating to disabled people than sometimes progressive churches or progressive circles are or can be. Have you had any experience like that? So, so I hear that. And I would say in terms of like not wanting to say the wrong thing, I totally hear that. And yet I still feel like I feel safer, but with like a caveat to that in more progressive circles. But I wonder though, if it's because I have other intersectionalities, right? Yeah, I, I'm curious, uh, what writers or theologians helped you on your journey? Yeah, so I would say, uh, specifically with like disability theology, we'd have to say Nancy Eastland. But uh, other than that, I would say a lot of uh, stuff like Howard Derman, a lot of the uh, liberation theology folks, yeah. um, James Cone. Yeah. Um, because it invited me to look at scripture in a way that I had not been taught in, in the more like conservative Pentecostal circles. What's a, what's an insight that you gained from liberationist theology that was helpful? I, I think this is where I was really, where I really felt like, and I knew this from like my disability activist world, but like, it clicked for me that like disability is a culture, right? So in the same way that any other culture is. And so when I read James Cone, when I read Howard Thurman and I'm like, oh, like I can read the scripture in the light of like black liberation in the same way I can read the scripture in light of disability uh, theology. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah, I want to give a shout out. If someone hasn't, if you haven't read Howard Thurman, uh, He's worth reading. So take the time to find him and read him. Yeah. Tell us um, also a little bit. So you have started um, a, a, a group known as, well, a community known as an Ubuntu community. Uh, that's a community that I've, I've had the privilege to and honor to, to be a part of. And uh, But tell us a little bit about your experience uh, of starting that community. What has what has that been like? And, uh, and tell for people who don't know what that is, tell them a, bit, a little bit about what it is. Yeah, so the Ubuntu community really became something that I began to think about, particularly uh, like the the beginning thoughts began during our, the first election uh, when Trump was elected, and and watching the Christian community on both sides like not be able to have conversation and talk in in ways that are humanizing of one another. And then as violence against black and brown bodies uh, began to increase and become more public, just watching that. And I was like, okay, so either I can no longer identify as someone 
who is Christian because holy crap, if this is what <laughs> like that, I don't know. Uh, and maybe that's because I, I find myself in, in white evangelical spaces, so I'll name that. So I said, okay. And then I started the residency and was invited to begin to envision like, what then would you do? Um, and then because of the pandemic thinking about, okay, then this can be a virtual community, which will afford us the opportunity to know people from different parts of the country who will inevitably have different views. Um, and let's talk about these issues that the church often doesn't talk about, like um, the violence against black and brown bodies and how we might relate that to Jesus being crucified and uh, the, the uptick in Asian hate and like those things. So, but how I, I structured it was here are the people who are committed to being in this community and you guys, all of us together, let's talk about it. So like it decenters the Sunday moment because we don't meet on Sunday and it decenters like one person being the pastor. While I know I facilitate it, I it's hopefully a community where everybody feels like they're, they have stake in it, yeah. What, what is your, what are your, your gatherings look like? I think people would be interested. Yeah, so that is uh, always forming and changing. But um, we originally met twice a week. We are going to go down to once, which I think is good as uh, everybody's life is picking up. Um, and it looks about we make a commitment every week that we will basically agree to treat each other uh as humans and like hear each other's point of views and have discussion. And then we, uh, you know, again, make a commitment to peace because a lot of um, Howard Thurman, Martin Luther King, all those uh, commitments to nonviolence. So, so while I know like we were not gonna physically hurt each other, we also commit to like not hurting each other as best as we can with our words. Right. Um, and then uh, depending, so we either do like a Lectio Divina uh, discussion around scripture and how it might relate to justice, how it might relate to our lives, knowing that we understand faith as holistic. So like how are we living out our faith with our physical health, our mental health, emotional health, um, spiritual health, and then service to the community. So it's not just about us. And then on, on another time, we would do the same stuff that I talked about in the beginning, except then the discussion would be around a topic of whatever is going on. So like I said, like race or um, ethical labor, um, things like that. Do you, I don't know, Hank, what do you think since you, you've well, been part of it? I, for me, you know, listening to you talk, one of the true blessings that I that I think exists within the Ubuntu community is that decentralized leadership nature that you have within it. Um, because within that decentralized leadership, I think it's a recognition that the body of Christ is made up of individuals that bring within that body a multitude of gifts. And, and because everybody shares in the leadership, in the discussion, that it's recognizing that everybody is going to bring um, gifts and interests that are important for that community. 
Um, and it's important for everybody to hear within that community and to learn from um, one, because it makes us a, um, a, a more well-rounded uh, community, right? And, and it doesn't make us led by one personality, right? That, that at times um, we have seen, especially within like church cultures, especially within mega church cultures, when, it, when, uh, uh, when an institution is led by one personality, sometimes that can be toxic and sometimes can be uh, lead down a wrong path. But when it's a decentralized group that, that, that shares in the care for one another, that shares in the education of one another and shares in the, um, uh, the lifting up and just the, the being there, the support for one another, then it is, uh, for me, for me, that's what the true body of Christ is, is supposed to look like. And, and so, and, and for me, that is a community that is more welcoming and open to disabled bodies. Uh, because too many times within communities, disabled bodies or disabled individuals are not seen as um, having much to share with the rest of the group, but you've opened this up in such a way. Well, for example, you know, I got to lead a, a, a one night and, and, and Latia has led these nights also where we talk about disability theology or disability issues, which for others within the community, that was something that was fairly new to them, right? But it was a shared experience and a shared opportunity to share gifts. And I think that for me, that's a beautiful thing. Um, and for me, that's, um, for me, I'm an individual who at times struggles with the institution of the church and the way, what the church has become in our modern age. And so this new way of looking at church, which is actually an old way of looking at church, you know, is, is a beautiful thing because for me, that's much closer to my understanding of what Jesus Christ was intending when he was gathering people together. And I, I think this is true. Other than when we specifically talked about disability theology, our disabilities don't like even come up in our no. discussion or even, I mean, unless we say something specifically. And I think even when we have the opportunity to meet each other in person, like that's not gonna be a thing because, right. because they already got to know Hank or they've already gotten to know me. So it's like, okay, like whatever. <laughs> well, and, and that was truly the beauty of this moment that we were in with the pandemic in which everything had to be on Zoom in which people were embracing Zoom a little bit more. I think it, 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 if there was beauty that came out of a year and a half long pandemic, it was that sometimes churches and church groups like this Mbutu committee were able to rise up and individuals were able to listen more without some of those barriers that may have existed when meeting in person. If, if someone was, if someone hears this and is kind of motivated about trying to create a community like this, what would you say would be a good first step? So of course I would invite them to be a part of Ubuntu and then they would learn and then so so, so 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 how could how could they I was setting you up there. So how yeah, how, how could yeah. they learn more about these communities? So you could go to uh, ubuntu.community and check it out on uh, the website. Cool. And maybe uh, I'm assuming you you can link it with the podcast. Yeah, yeah definitely. 
Is there any other way that if people have, have questions for you that they can get in touch with you or? Yeah, so also you can email me at revlatia at the Ubuntu community, um, uh, Ubuntu doc community, and I, I'll be more than willing to, to chat. So, yeah. Very cool, very cool. What are the questions you have, Jonathan? Well, I, um, and the folks that go to the, our, uh, the website around um, ministers with disabilities can watch Latia give a wonderful presentation on engaging the church year through the lens of disability. So I'd love you to speak a little bit about what you've learned through that, where I know you're thinking about creating a book. Where is that in the process? Yeah, so I am, I've, I'm working on my uh, doctorate of ministry. So I just finished my classwork and what I have left is my dissertation. So for the next couple of months, that's where my brain is going to be. <laughs> but uh, part of that was thinking about, because my dissertation says disability theology is not just helpful for folks that have disabilities. Disability theology, just like liberation theology, can shape the whole church. And so I, at the presentation I gave, I was like, okay, let me, let's think through the church year and we talk about Advent and how how disability can be shaped there. We talk about Lent and like, being aware of the fragility of all of our bodies, even though as a person with a disability, you can see mine uh, easier. Um, yeah, so things like that. What, doing that work, what, what's, what's one of your big takeaways? What, what, what have you learned in that work? I think uh, both folks with and without disabilities sometimes challenge it, and that's fine, people can have uh, differing views, but I think folks with disabilities who challenge it are folks who are not who see their disability as something that like needs to be fixed or will be fixed and at some point in in the new creation. Um, so to embrace the fact that one might have a disability in new creation is hard, and I think. Uh, for folks without disabilities to equate themselves with people with disabilities is sometimes difficult because they don't want to be a person with a disability. So, right, like disability is something they fear. So mm -hmm. to see us on the same plane is a little bit weird, I think. Yeah. Well, very good. Um, well, real quick before you, you leave, I, I, one thing that I forget almost forgot to mention was you have also done work with the Poor People's Campaign, is that correct? Do you want to tell yes. us a little about the work you've done with them? Yeah, so mostly in Kansas. Um, so there's the national work, and then they have, which comes down from national, but um, each state or many of the states have worked there. So right now we're working on um, stuff around voting rights because that's be that's, coming under attack right now. So you, again, committed to nonviolent civil disobedience. Um, so there's that. And having a community of faith that consists of activists and folks who may not, who don't uh, hold the same religious beliefs. So we have like rabbis and everybody. Um, and so in October, there will be a devotional that is coming out that will 
in some ways goes through the church year, but it's a it's a poor people's campaign church year, not uh, the yeah. traditional church year. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think maybe some of our audience don't know that if you have a disability, you're much more likely to be in poverty. Um, and so that's a major issue for the disability community. Um, how has how has the the leaders of the poor people's campaign embraced or pushed back against the idea of engaging more with disability rights stuff? Yeah, so I think the poor people's campaign real recognizes that like there are interlocking injustices. So folks who are who experience poverty are also folks who are denied voting rights and don't have adequate access to healthcare who also experience racism, right? So like we have been taught in this society to like break up our fight, like, oh, you're fighting against racism. So this is your group when really it's all connected. So uh, teaching folks that. Yeah, that, that, if, that, if, that if one is free, we are all free, right? Yeah. yeah. That that idea of injustice for any injustice for anybody affects everybody. That that idea is something that we have to say over and over again, but it's a reality too many people miss. Yeah. Well, Latia, we uh, we thank you for for your time Absolutely. joining us today. This has been a great conversation. Uh, is there anything that uh, that we didn't discuss that you would like uh, you would like to talk about? Any uh, any any nuggets of information or anything you'd like to share? Anything you'd like to ask us? So I I'll have to check out the uh, your podcast. But what what are some of the discussions you've have had already or plan to have? So uh, so some you know, we, we are still, I kind of feel like in the infant stages yes. of this, this yes. podcast. We're learning to walk. No offense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, uh, so we started out just by doing some basic disability theology yeah. um, discussions. And yeah. so uh, for those who, who haven't listened to some of our earlier podcasts, we, we kind of do a disability theology 101. Yeah. Uh, we walked through the, um, the Disabled God book by Nancy Eastland. In one of our episodes, we talked about the idea of the sacraments, sacraments. and disability, yeah. talked a lot about uh, communion and baptism, yeah. how disabled bodies fit into that. Um, we, we've, we're starting a series now with different guests. And last time we had on a, a good friend of ours, just Reverend Justin Hancock, who um, has writ, written a book and started an organization called The Julian Way, Yep. Uh, about empowering disabled leadership and uh, uh, and he's out of uh, the North Texas area and just talked with him a little bit about um, about what it's also like to be a disabled minister and, and really this podcast is just all about helping people understand faith and faith through a disabled lens and then and, life through a disabled lens and and, and hearing from disabled people about yeah. disabled experiences yeah. um, because that, as you know, you and I have talked about, that's a, that's a real pet peeve of mine is uh, too many times disability is talked about by non-disabled individuals, which yeah. is, a, we're appreciative of allies, but I also think it's empower, it's important that disabled people, back. right, and disabled people are empowered to tell their own stories. Yeah. So, so that, that's kind of where we are right now. So do you have any suggestions? Yeah, for is, there, is there a topic you would like us to cover? <laughs> I wonder if there 
there would be more of a topic about um, two things. One, the intersectionalities that folks have that yeah. uh, that also influence their their life as a person with a disability. But also, um, shoot, what was the other one I was thinking? I've heard this comment a lot in churches that like we struggle with the idea of having a a disabled minister because you don't have the same life struggles like that we do. And I'm going to go, what world do you think we're living in? Right. And so I just wonder because of people's stereotypical ideas of lives of folks with disabilities, like I wonder if there could be like, let me tell you about my real life and to to in some way humanize folks with disabilities, particularly ministers, because I, I just yeah. think folks think we live in a different world in which well, we don't. And as you said, they, on some level, they don't see us as full humans, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it's shocking. It's shocking sometimes for people, non-disabled people to hear that we have commonalities with them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So I know that, that those are good points. Thank you yep. for those suggestions. So, yeah. um, well, that is all the time we have for this episode. Uh, like I said, we want to thank Reverend Latia for, for joining us. Uh, hopefully we can have her back on and maybe we will uh, start up some of these conversations with you. Um, but as she said, if you're interested in the Ubuntu community, y'all, do you want to give us that address one more time? It's ubuntu.community so www.ubuntu.community um want to spell out ubuntu so oh that's right (laughs) u-b-u-n-t-u.community there you go go check it out it's a it's a wonderful group and uh hopefully you can get uh get involved in it but uh that is all we have for now so thank you for joining us thank you for listening and we will uh, we will, what am I, what am I trying to say, Jonathan? I don't know. See you later. We will see you later. <laughs> All right. Have a good day.